Just like a muscle, here we will grow stronger for his sake and for the sake of the gospel. So please, brothers and sisters, join me here at Jacked for Jesus. Welcome everybody back to Jack for Jesus. Um, today is the seventh day of this series, Fruits and Promises, that I've been uh, going over for a couple weeks now. And today we are discussing the fruit of self-control and the promise of uh, being co-heirs with Christ, co-heirs with Christ and what that looks like, um, how that's described in the Bible. So we will we will we will be looking at these things um, separately, but I also kind of want to tie them in together and see what they can say about each other, and have that discussion today. Um, welcome anybody that hasn't listened to this before. My name is Andrew Kufal, um, and feel free to look back at the other days. But um, really, you can listen to any day. You don't have to listen to all the other ones to listen to this one. Um, But in the other ones, I do discuss other fruits of the Holy Spirit and how they fit in with the gospel message, with salvation, uh, with the Holy Spirit, with Christ teaching us, all these other things. All has to do with promises, fruits of the Holy Spirit. Um, And all of it comes from a place of salvation and a place of um, working out that salvation. So before I begin today, I I just want to pray here for a second. Heavenly Father, thank you for being here with us today. Thank you for being all present and all loving and all knowing. Thank you for being outside of um, space and time and matter so that you can watch over us and care for us in a way that only you can do, Lord. Thank you for providing for us and for encouraging us and doing everything else for us, Lord. Um, Without you, we would be a pile of dust on our way to hell, burning in sulfur. And I ask that you would just soften people's hearts listening today, that you would um, bring the gospel message to them, encounter them, Lord, love them, um, and work your power in miraculous ways for your glory, for your glory, Lord. I pray that everyone listening would be filled with awe, wonder, and gratitude and love for you, Lord, that your name would be kept holy, praised, and glorified. Thank you, Lord, for your infinite, eternal, and unfailing love, grace, and mercy. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to come boldly to your throne with prayer, petition, questions to ask, um, questions to ask, seek, and find. And thank you for always answering in the best way for us. I pray that everyone listening, including myself, may be reminded of your unchanging character and the sacrifice you made for all of us. And finally, Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit would come before me and ahead of me in this time, in this episode, so that they may not, they may not hear my voice, Lord, but your your voice, um, the truth that you tell us. And I pray all of this in Jesus' mighty, mighty name. Amen. <clears throat> okay, so to start with, I'm going to be reading Romans chapter 8. This is one of Paul's epistles, so this is, was, this was written um, uh, proceeding uh Jesus' time here on earth, his works, his deeds, his, his sign and wonders. Um, at this point, his apostles have been left with um, a mission. And Paul, one of the apostles, is writing a letter to the Romans as encouragement, teaching, all those other things. 
And so I will just start reading through chapter eight. And I think, I'll see, I might stop it halfway through or I might just read all the way. I haven't decided yet. If anyone following along, I'll just start Romans chapter eight at the very beginning. The flesh and the spirit. Hence, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has freed you from the law of sin and death. For what the law, weakened by the flesh, was powerless to do, this God has done, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for the sake of sin, he condemns sin in the flesh, so that the righteous decree of the law might be, might be fulfilled in us, who live not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh are concerned with the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit with the things of the Spirit. The concern of the flesh is death, but the concern of the spirit is life and peace. For the concern of the flesh is hostility toward God. It does not submit to the law of God, nor can it. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh. On the contrary, you are in the spirit. If only the spirit of God dwells in you. Whoever does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because, because of sin, the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But the spirit of the one who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. The one who raised, Je- who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through, through his spirit that dwells in you. Consequently, brothers, we are not debtors to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Holy Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Okay, I might split this up into three sections, actually. Um, So I just read up to uh, verse 13. um, And I think I want to stop here and discuss this first section of chapter 8. Because there's so much good stuff in here. Um, And I I, I just need to stop and talk about it. The first thing I want to point out is that the very first verse, the very first verse of Romans 8 says, Hence, or therefore, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For anybody listening who has not heard the basics of the gospel message, um, what Jesus preached is that um, that it, he, he eliminated to us that we were not living by the law of Moses, that we failed to to live by the law of Moses. And even those who did live by the law of Moses um, did it with pride and self-righteousness. Um, and so even the Pharisees that just, like they would have, the, basically they would have the Old Testament memorized, like memorized in their head. They, they, would, do, they would do all of the law of Moses as best they can all the time. And even then, those were the, those were the, the people that Jesus spoke most critically of through the whole through the whole gospel is because they've been given they've been shown little bits of God's glory and that even despite of that they do not have the right heart they do not have the right approach to God so even like what we would imagine be the best the best in scholars or believers of Jesus everybody failed to live up to what the law of Moses was looking for and that was perfection Because truly, the law of Moses was not meant for us to fulfill. It was meant for Jesus to fulfill. 
he was meant to fulfill the covenants of the Old Testament. Um, because even though the law is perfect and that there is nothing wrong with the law, it, it, it's a perfect law requires a perfect fulfillment. And none of us could do that. And through each of the covenants in the Old Testament, um, we couldn't do that. It had to be Jesus because he was the only perfect man, the only perfect man, the, the seed of Abraham, the descendant of King David. He fulfilled all the, all the covenants in the Old Testament. But what he really came to earth to do is to save us, to save us that know we are sinners. And he did that. Um, as we know, Jesus Christ is fully human, but fully God also. And he came to the world and preached, to preach the truth and the mysteries of heaven and parables and, and, and more clearly to his apostles, to his disciples. And he ended up giving up his life um, by being sentenced to crucifixion on the cross, um, handed over to the Jews and they they crucified him. And by that action, he submitted himself to death in our place. He submitted himself to God's wrath. He submitted himself to isolation from God, which up until that point, Jesus has never experienced. So that all of us who believe in him would have our sins forgiven. So that all of us who come to Christ saying, we know we're not enough, but we believe in you. We trust in you. For God tells us, for by grace are we saved through faith. That it is not of ourselves. It is not from our works. It is a gift of God. So that everyone who believes in Jesus Christ will not perish but have eternal life. That's, that's what Jesus did. He came to rid the debt and the punishment of our sins. You and I, both of us. So that we could have an intimate and personal connection with God. So that we could, we could share in his inheritance. So that we can share in his glory. And that's part of what I'm talking about today. Um, I don't think I... Um, I haven't read to the point where I'll talk about that specifically. Um, so I'll pause for a second. I just wanted to outline the gospel message. Um, I hope that makes sense. Jesus Christ, fully man, fully God, came to earth. Did miraculous signs and wonders. Um, preached, prophesied his own death. And he, he did die. He went down to hell for three days and rose again on the third day, um, coming and appearing to the apostles in physical flesh, actually flesh and bone and blood, and um, died for our sins, for the sins of the world. And so all of that is to say, <laughs> all of that is to put into context the first verse, which is saying, hence now there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because of him, because of God's grace and his mercy, um, he has, um, sin has to be punished somehow by somebody. And what God has done is he sent himself to take on the punishment of our sin. He knew that we could not be good enough to earn his favor. That all it took was one sin. And that we can never, we can never be righteous enough for his presence. And so he took that upon himself. Um, and Paul continues by saying the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has freed you from the law of sin and death. Um, and this is kind of a big theme of this first section of chapter eight. Um, it's talking about freedom, but it's also talking about, 
uh, he juxtaposes this uh, speech of freedom and life and peace that we have in the spirit and in Christ Jesus. He juxtaposes that in really harsh, uh, in really harsh contrast with the spirit of the flesh, with the nature of the flesh. And it says, who live according to the flesh are concerned with the things of the flesh. They're, they, they, they seem to come off as shallow. They're worried about food and clothing and seeking their own pleasures, um, making their own life, all these other things. Some of these things, very common, uh, very common messages in our culture. But he also says the concern of the flesh is death. So he's saying um, the concern of, of the flesh is the things of the flesh, is death, and is hostility toward God. And that anyone who lives in the flesh, or who are in the flesh, cannot please God. But, he says, those of us who live in the Spirit, who have taken Christ's message on us, who has received His easy yoke, when we have received His light, his light burden, we have, we have put the gospel treasure, as a, the gospel message in our heart as a treasure, as we believe in Christ Jesus, we believe in God, we believe who and what and how God did what He did. That we are in the flesh, that we've been saved, that we are in the sheepfold and cannot be taken away, that we are held securely in God's hands. And th- those of us who, who are in that position, he says the concern of the Spirit is life and peace. Is that, is that all? Yeah, so he so he says three things for the flesh, but actually in the, for the Spirit, he says the, the, the concern of the Spirit is the things of the Spirit and life and peace. Um, and he continues by saying, whoever does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. And this is one aspect of Christianity that I feel like has been lost a little bit, just a little bit, is this idea of um, Christianity is remarkable in the, in the fact that God and Jesus is remarkable in the fact that they are inclusive and completely exclusive at the same time. I want to explain that. And, and Paul talks about this a little bit. By saying, whoever does not belong to this, to, whoever does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So Christianity is inclusive in the fact that um, the neutral position, um, before we have heard any of the gospel message, we are all sinners. We have all fallen short of God's glory. And we are all on the pathway to hell. That, that, that's the inclusion aspect of Christianity. That we, no matter how rich, no matter how poor, no matter how good we think we are, no matter how bad we don't think we are, whatever the situation is, God tells us we've all fallen short. We're all going to hell. Um, and that we're all dying. That we're all on the path to eternal death. Um, and of course, <laughs> those, are not, those are not good things. Those are not good things. And because God is perfectly loving, perfectly just, perfectly merciful, perfectly gracious, he made one way for all of the people, all of these people. He made one one way so that he can be inclusive to everybody. If they believe in Christ Jesus, if they have the spirit of Christ. So in a way... It's completely inclusive in the fact that anybody can be a Christian. Anybody can believe the gospel message. Truly. We, and it would be amazing. We could have a world where every single person, to the best of our ability, 
believed in the gospel message. That is possible. Um, that is possible. But but what it is saying is that the way to receive God's promises, to receive His mercy and His grace, it it, it comes to one thing, and that's Christ. So in that way, it's completely inclusive and completely exclusive. And that is why Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He does not say, I and all of the other religions are the way, the truth, and the life. He says, just me. He says, I am. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Because Jesus is the only way to get to the Father. It's the only way to get to heaven. It's by faith. It's by faith. Um, I just think that's cool. Um, and he talks about our mortal bodies, which I, I'm going to glimpse over a little bit, but I'll summarize it. Basically, our bodies are dead because of our sin. Um, but because of Christ's spirit, he gives life to our body. He continues to give life to our body. Um, and that we will be given new bodies at some point in the new heaven, the new earth that's talked about in Revelations. Um, if you guys are interested, that's certainly something I can try to do a series over. Um, but as a semi-new Christian myself, um, or I, w- I would call a baby Christian or a toddler Christian. Some of the, of the mysteries of revelations, I don't have a great grasp on, but I, c- I, I could do, I could look into it more if you guys are interested. Um, and yeah, so he talks about that. Um, with that, I'll continue on at verse eight. Oh no, not verse 18, verse 14 of Romans eight says children of God through adoption. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received a spirit of adoption through which we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and of children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if only we suffer with Him so that we may also be glorified with Him. Destiny of Glory I consider that the sufferings of this present time are as nothing compared compared with the glory to be revealed for us. For creation awaits with eager expectation the revelation of the children of God. For creation was made subject to fertility, not of its own accord, but because of the one who subjected it. In hope that creation itself would be set free from slavery to corruption and share in the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that all creation is groaning in labor pains, even until now. And not only that, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we also groan within ourselves as we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now hope that sees for itself is not hope, for who hopes for what one sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait with endurance. In the same way, the Spirit too comes to the aid of our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit itself intercedes with inexpressible groanings. And the one who searches hearts knows what is the intention of the Spirit, because it intercedes for the holy ones according to God's will. God's indomitable love in Christ. We know that all things work for good for those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. For those He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also glorified. I mean justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. 
What then shall we say to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but handed him over for us all, how will he not also give us everything else along with him? Who will bring a charge against God's chosen ones? It is God who who acquits us. Who will condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died, rather was raised and was also, and who also is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. What will separate us from the love of Christ? Will anguish or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or the sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being slain all the day. We are looked upon as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we conquer overwhelmingly through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor present things, nor future things, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature will be able to, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And wow, <laughs> is that not an amazing piece of scripture? That's just so, so good. Um, yeah, that's amazing. Um, and so I wanted to read this chapter because Paul gets really good grasp on being co-heirs with Christ. And he, and he describes it in an interesting way, which I want to talk about. First, I want to just go back to where he actually makes his promise. Um, which is like verse 14 through like 17-ish. Basically, it says, Since we have received God's Spirit, we are children of God. Um, and because we are children of God, then we are heirs of God. And with that, that we are joint heirs with Christ. If only we suffer with Him, so that we may also be glorified with Him. What Paul's talking about here is not saying that we have to like be martyred to, 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 to live with Christ or to be joint, joint heirs with Christ. What he means is that we need to suffer in the sense that as Christians, we still need to go through this life. However much life God has graciously given us um, on, this, on this earth, um, we will suffer. We will have grief. We will have sorrow. Now, I'm not saying that God will not comfort us and, and carry us through all of those things. But it is undeniable that even um, the best Christian you can think of will be sad sometimes, will mourn sometimes. Um, and in heaven, in the new earth, those things will not happen. We will not have sorrow or grief. We will not have cancer. We will not have death. We won't have all of these things that make us suffer now. We won't have to deal with our sinful nature. We won't have to fight our flesh all the time. We'll be fully glorified with Christ. And that's what Paul's talking about. It's not one day we will rise from the dead and we will join Christ. I'm not ever I'm not ever going to say that we will be at the same level of Christ, but we will be in God's presence and his God in God's home. And and I can't even we don't we don't even comprehend how amazing that is. Like to be in the presence of the perfect father as Christians now, like we get to be in his presence because his his Holy Spirit dwells in us. Even that is beyond amazing. It's beyond comprehensible. But then you add the fact that not just his presence, but his his home, his house, his realm, where we can fully see his glory. Just like Christ, we will have that.
I just I I don't know how to explain that. Christ talked about being glorified and always being with the Father in the Gospels, and when He died on the cross, when He gave His Spirit on the cross, uh, He said, "Lord, why have You forsaken me?" And God Himself forsake His forsake His Son to death, to hell, so that He that Jesus, that Lord, our Lord, would never forsake us. That by believing in Christ, we will not experience what Christ experienced. Because that is not something we can experience and come out of. Well, there are some near-death experiences where people have died and gone to hell and come back. And those are some amazing testimonies. But on an eternal on eternal perspective, unless God chooses that for us, if we die and we're not coming back and we go to hell, there is no escaping that. Except through Christ Jesus. That that that, that Christ has gone through pain that we, we, will, we will never go through. Unless we choose not to trust him. Unless we choose not to believe in him now. But then we can't, we can't, we can't turn back. Says every knee will bow to Christ Jesus one day. Um, but unfortunately, not all of the knees that will bow will be in heaven or will be on earth. Some of them will be in hell, in Gehenna. But, but because we are heirs of God, because we are co-heirs with Christ, Paul and Jesus calls us to live that way, to live a life of self-denial of the flesh and that's part of the reason i want to talk about self-control is because we are god's children we should not indulge sinfully in the pleasures that god has given us um and i'm I'm just gonna i'm gonna be honest and say it like i'm talking about um sex and 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 money and resources and power um and drugs and, and um, homosexuality and all these other things. Now, sex and some of the other things I said are holy in in their in their in the constraints God has made for us. So, like sex is a holy thing in the in the context of marriage of a man and a woman, um, and even more holy if those two people are Christians. That that that. They do, they do that, they engage in that with pleasure for the intentions of life. That is holy. And money is not necessarily a bad thing, but it's, it's destructive when it takes our heart, when it has a place in our heart above Christ, or even competing with Christ. Um, in power, we can, be, we can be greedy for power, but God doesn't want us to seek power for ourselves. He wants us, us to let go of our control. To let go of our crown, our silly little crown that we like to think we have in this earth. He calls us to lay that down and say, yes, God has made me with free free will. God has made me in his image. Um, but I don't want to do everything I want to do. I want to do what God desires for me. I want to listen to God and obey God and trust God um, and live a life of self-control and joy and peace and love and patience and goodness and faithfulness.
He calls us to 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 let our our old selves die on the cross. So to seek with joy sanctification from God and saying, Lord, I know that I have these bad habits and I, I know that you want me to escape them. So please, Lord, help me with that. Because those things, those sinful habits is what Paul talks about in Romans. In Romans 8, he's talking about the things of the flesh, death, concernment of death. And I think everyone listening has something that's still sinful, whether it's pride, whether it's righteousness, whether it's greed, whether it's ungratitude or doubt or fear. All of us fall short somehow, and that's why we need Jesus. Um, But as joint heirs with Christ, we should seek that sanctification. We should seek our walk with God. In a weird way, we should almost seek death, not to the point where we we take ourselves out of this world, but we should seek physical death in the sense that after that we will join God in heaven. We should itch it. We should itch. We should ache to be with God in heaven. We should ache for Him to come back. God wants us to rewrite our our desires, our will, our thoughts. He wants us to submit our will and thoughts and desires and hopes and dreams to him. That's what he desires for us. This point of that's part of being called as joint heirs with Christ is Christ didn't go around doing what he did. I mean, he did. <laughs> I didn't say what I was trying to say. Christ didn't go go around walking around doing whatever he wanted to do. He did God's will, and he said, by doing God's will, that's how he showed the world that he loves God. That he is from God. And his signs and wonders also testify to that. His works testify that to that. In the same way, we should desire that. We should desire our works and our character to be proof, to be a testimony, to be witness of God for his glory. I want to read Philippians 4, verses 8 through 9. It says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. This is Paul speaking. Um, He gives us a command, which is to fix our thoughts on what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, and admirable. Things that are excellent and worthy of praise. And all those things are different ways of, of saying we, we should fix our, our thoughts on God. On God's word. God's promises. Just, just sitting in God's presence. And he also calls us to keep putting into practice all that you learned and received from me. And what he has lear- learned and received that he is sharing in this context is is Christ's mysteries is the gospel. Um, we should we should, and we should do this. We should put into practice what we learn. We should put into practice what God has placed in our hearts. We should put into practice what God describes in His Holy Scripture. And He makes a promise that is, then the God of peace will be with you. And that's true for all of us. And I think if we're truly gripped by the gospel message and we truly believe in what Christ Jesus has done. I think this is the natural progression, is to repent. 
uh, is to be sanctified, is to learn, to put into practice what we learn, and to fix our on thoughts, our thoughts and minds on good things. And it's not that we're going to be perfect. I'm far from perfect, guys. Very, very far. Uh, and anyone saying that they're perfect with this is is lying, unless they're Jesus. But that's what he calls us to do. Um, and what this is all describing in a more uh, broad scope or perspective is Paul is talking about the third part of, of salvation. Salvation is split into three sections. That is justification, sanctification, and glorification. Now, justification is Christ dying on the cross. So he's saying, we believe in, in, in Christ, we have faith in Christ, who he is, what he's done, all that stuff. That we've been justified, that we've been guaranteed a spot, that we have been made clean, that we have been put into God's hands. And after that justification, through our physical life here on this earth, that we are sanctified. And that's like a fancy word of saying, like cutting off or pruning. And so, God works on sanctifying or pruning our character, um, our actions, our, our our deeds, our works. And so he's cutting off our sinful nature um, to expose the good fruits that comes with residing in Jesus Christ. And the last one is glorification. That's what Paul's talking about here, or part of it, is that we are joint heirs with Christ, that we will be glorified with Christ, that we will share in his inheritance. That we will be with Christ with new bodies one one day um, as part of this promise. Now, moving on here, because I spent a lot of time on that. But moving on here, I'm going to read Second Peter verses 1, or, or chapter 1, verse 5 through 7. It says, in view of all of this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with with a generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with patient endurance and patient endurance with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for everyone. Um, that's so good. <laughs> um, so what, what this is, what these verses are, are describing is kind of a, it's a progression. He's kind of he's kind of outlining a progression here. So he says the first effort is to respond to God's promises. The first being to respond to the gospel message, to be justified, and to understand that. And then he moves on by saying, supplement your faith with moral excellence, and then knowledge, and then self control, and then endurance, and then patient endurance, and to godliness, and then brotherly affection. And then love for everyone. So it's kind of this um, kind of this natural path that um, our walk with God could look like. Um, but no matter what our our walk with God looks like, He's describing good things for our faith. And one of those things was self control. Um, and self control, or I think the King James version uh, states, like temperance, is the ability with the Lord's strength and spirit of truth. Um, uh, to be able to resist and deny the flesh's desires, the flesh's lusts, um, and the flesh's temptations. Um, and that doesn't mean we'll never be tempted. Temptation will happen. 
even like Jesus, even Jesus, like God in person, Jesus was tempted in the, in the desert by Satan for 40 days. Now he did not give in to Satan. He did not go and do his own thing, but he was tempted. He was, he was tempted. He was provoked by, by Satan, by the adversary. And as Christians, um, it would be that way for us as well. Um, but I want to focus on this word of self-control or temperance. The Greek word is uh, enkratia. Uh, I might have said that wrong. <laughs> um, a kind of a longer way of describing this word other than saying temperance or self-control. kind of translates into possessing power, excuse me, or mastery over oneself. Um, so this this word of self-control or temperance is kind of like self-control and discipline um, and, and understanding kind of mixed together. It's like being uh, tempered uh, as a fire. God says he will, he will temper our faith into a fine gold. This is kind of what it's talking about. Possessing power and mastery over oneself. Um, and we, and this is, this is crucial, guys. We cannot do this by ourselves. That is why it's one of the fruits of the Spirit. Without Jesus Christ, without God, we cannot truly rid ourselves of our, of our sinful nature. Even if we think we are, the Bible says the concern of the flesh is death, that we are still leading to death without the Spirit of Christ. Um, and again, on the cross, when Jesus died and gave up his spirit, our old selves, our old sinful selves died. And even if we're still fighting our flesh now, we are new creations in Christ Jesus. And that we now, because of Christ Jesus, by his grace, we can start our walk. Um, we can start our walk with God and possessing this uh this kind of self-control, this temperance, this discipline um, that comes from understanding the gospel from all the things that I read earlier, um, moral excellence, responding to God's promises, knowledge, self-control, patient endurance and godliness and brotherly affection and love for everyone. That, that, those kind of things, all the things that God describes in the Bible, um, and by praying to God, by soaking in his presence, um, by rejoicing in his presence and his word, um, God will start to grow these, these fruits in us. Um, and this is a hard one. <clears throat> Even for people that don't believe in Christ, um, discipline or self-control is something that we seem to, in a way, sometimes we yearn for it. Even people that aren't Christians sometimes get an itch to discipline themselves, whether it's with physical activity or with or with school, or by working all the time. In a way, we seek this self-control. A lot of times we seek self-control to better control our situations. And that's not the kind of self-control God is talking about. It's more so a, like a, 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 I would almost say discipline is almost a closer word. Um, because really, he doesn't call us to control ourselves. He calls us to act according to his will. Um, to give up our control to Him, to give up ourselves to Him, to be a living sacrifice for Him. So I think this word is kind of tricky for us in, in English 
to translate. Um, but I hope that gives you a better idea of what I mean, what Paul means, really, what the Bible is describing when it's a self-control or temperance. Um, and I want to encourage you guys, everyone listening, um, myself, to think of ways we are self-controlled, to think of ways we are disciplined in the faith. Um, and I also want us to think of ways that we aren't self-controlled and disciplined in the faith. And I, I call you guys to meditate on what being tempered and disciplined in the faith would look like in our lives. And of course, through like a biblical and godly and Christian worldview. Um, I also want to ask a question, and that is, how and why should we ask God for this self-control when he asks us to re- relinquish our control? And I, want you to guys, and I want you guys to think about this seeming contradiction saying that we should have self-control while also giving up our control and what that truly means as Christians. Um, and I think I talked, I, I think I alluded to that a little bit in this episode, but I want you guys to explore that more for yourselves. I think it'd be more fruitful if that's something you guys seek personally, instead of something that I um, talk about here. Uh, with that, I want, I want you guys to chew on those questions Um Think about that. Think about what you heard today. Um, And with that, I will pray everybody out. Lord, I pray that everyone listening would take to heart your word and, and the gospel message, the gospel truth, your truth in the Holy Scripture that I, I, I shared today, Lord. And I ask that you would, you would encounter them. You would bless them with knowledge. You would fill them with love and joy and peace that you would deliver them from evil, from your wrath, Lord, through Jesus Christ, that you would show them that you are eager to fulfill your promises to us, that you are eager to care for us like a chicken cares for her hens, or a hen cares for her chicks, <laughs> um, that you are eager to keep us in your sheepfold, that you are eager to protect us, feed us, and provide for us, and, and temper us, and all these other things, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for being the Lord of the universe, for being the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. Thank you, Lord, for coming to this earth um, to create division. Because because of that division, because of that contrast, now we see the light, we see the path, we see the way, we see the truth um, that was your son, Jesus Christ. We see the gospel message. We see the fulfillment of your promises through Christ. Thank you, Lord, for giving us peace inside, for, for, for quieting our souls, for teaching us, for using us, for reminding us of what you've taught us. Thank you, Lord, for everything you've done. I just ask that you would work, <laughs> you, you would work in miraculous ways, Lord, in this culture and around the world, in all the places with violence and, and, and despair. That you you would work your miracles, Lord. That you would stir up the workers in the field, Lord. That you would bring revival and spiritual gifts um, and all of your amazing things, Lord, um, to this world. Thank you, Lord, for keeping your children firmly in your hand, for protecting us, for ensuring our destination. Thank you for giving me all the resources I need to, to do this podcast, to learn, to read your holy word, Lord. 
Thank you for taking care of us all. Um, we pray all of this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Um, with that, I think I'll end the episode here. I will be back soon for day eight of the series. And I apologize last time. I think I said today was going to be the last day, um, but I misspoke. There's nine fruits, so we have two more days this of this series. Uh, so I'll see you soon with day eight. Um, love you guys. God bless.